Broadcasting from beautiful, sexy, sweltering Studio City, California. This is the Napsock Files. I'm Ken Napsock. If you're listening to us on iTunes, thank you. Stitcher, thank you. Toad Hop Network, thank you. If you're my mother listening at home while the cats and dogs are playing, thank you as well. I'm Ken Napsock with my very special guest on this edition, Mr. Dan Farron. Dan? Well, thank you, Ken. It's nice to be here. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm here. I know you have me on the show for one reason, and that is to yeah. to raise your age demographic here. You need you want to tap into my shut-in audience is what you yes. want to do. And, uh, uh, we're going for the people who grew up in the 60s, that's 70s, the, uh, and that's 80s. The, uh, that, that's always the fun part. You know, when you start doing stand-up, you invite people to come see your shows. And in, in the beginning, it's, oh, I, I can't do it. Uh, you know, I, I, we just got married, and we're having a kid or whatever. You know it gets bad later on when they say, oh, you know what? I'm babysitting the grandkids. I can't come <laughs> to your show. You can't do Oh, man, that's great. That's a preview of what's to come on this <laughs> this edition, the 11th edition of the Napsock Files. Uh, Dan Farron is a stand-up comedian, a writer, a storyteller, and, well, a man around the ring, a professional wrestling promoter, commissioner, Manager, announcer, whatever you want to say, you've done it all in the business. So there, I mean, yeah, I, I I have a strong utility yeah. uh, uh, background in that kind of. So situation. there's a lot to talk about with you. I could go many many directions. We could, um, but let's start about where you came from. Were you born here in L.A.? Where no, are you from? No, no. Actually, I was born in Evansville, Indiana, home of Yankee slugger Don, Don Mattingly. Mattingly. Donnie Baseball, my favorite Yankee, Evansville. Exactly. He has Mattingly's Restaurant. Uh, I have there. a sweatshirt, and yeah. I have, uh, if you would like a book of matches from Mattingly's, I will give you one. I have extra ones. I uh, think it closed down, though. It did close down. Yeah. It did close down. But so I was born there, okay. and um, my father was, uh, in, uh, was an executive in the moving business. And Ooh, that's got, a good racket, you see? A, it was a good racket back then, not anymore. Every, every, Everyone's going west. Every bonehead in themselves tried to move it. You can Every time you get on the freeway, there's somebody's dropped a couch in the fast <laughs> lane somewhere. But uh, my father used to complain about that all the time. He said, every idiot thinks they can move. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love that your dad's like, I know how to move people. That's right. He did. He, he, he did. He did. He did. He did and did. But no, what he did was... Um, he, he left to go to a, a company now um, defunct called Republic Van Lines, and it was okay. in Baltimore, Maryland. And what we did was we wound up coming out here. Wait, was, did they move the Colts to Indianapolis? No, that was no they didn't. No, that's, that's a very sore <laughs> spot. Don't go into that. I, I, I have truthfully never watched pro f- football ever again after that. Really? I was so hurt. That was 1983, right? Yes. In the middle of the night, the Ursays move mm-hmm. the Colts to Indianapolis, and you're done. I'm done. I don't even follow the Ravens. Wow. That's, that's how, how devastated enough. I was by that. Wow. Um, but uh, what happened was we came out to California mm-hmm. and uh, spent six months here before we transferred uh, to Baltimore. And we lived uh, in, a, in an old section off of Wilshire down near the old Ambassador Hotel where the original Brown Derby was. Yeah. And my parents loved it out there. Okay. And so they all kept saying, you know, we want to go back one day. So I, I grew up in Maryland. I went to high school in, in Baltimore. And right when I finished high school, my dad bought into a moving company in San Bernardino. Hmm. And it's like, we're going to California. And um, we moved out here. It was 39 years ago, 4th of July. Wow. And all I know is we were coming in from Ontario Airport into San Bernardino. And we were like, 
It just doesn't look. Where's the beach? Where's the <laughs> where's ocean? The palm trees. The palm trees are all brown. Is that is that where's, a clan member over there? What where's the Robert hell? Mitchum? He's yeah, not here. Exactly. And thank God we had seen parts of L.A. before, or we might have been sorely disappointed. But uh, yeah, came out here in the in the mid seventies and and came down to L.A. to go to college. Okay. And uh, have stayed here ever since. And actually, I, I really like it here. I'm, I'm, I decided I'm a big city person. I I, I can go to smaller places yeah. and towns. But after like a while, I start to get a little itchy. You know, that whole romantic writer thing about, yeah. you know, sitting at the beach or in the mountains writing. After about mm. a day or two, it starts to get a little. Well, it's nice to know that we're, we're simpatico in that area. I grew up in a small town in Royal Grande, and I love it. And I love going back. But, yeah, after about four or five days, strangely, strangely enough, you miss the traffic. At least I do. Yeah. Um, when, I'm, when I'm here, I curse the traffic. But, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. It, what, I don't know what is in the genetic makeup that would send us in that kind of vein yeah you know and i wouldn't mind i i keep wanting to go back and visit evansville sometime because mm. uh, it's changed quite a bit since sure. i was there uh well that only shut, shut down uh, yeah exactly. so that it's changed a, a lot yeah uh, and but we also um i also would like to take my wife back to see maryland see where, okay. where i went to high school where i was raised yeah um i have no great need to go back to san bernardino i really really don't i'm sorry chamber of commerce i'm sorry but that's the one you can do the that's most the one i can too, do though. yeah, yeah. Exactly. the other one needs a kickstarter campaign i'll give you i'll give you a perfect example why i don't need to go back to san bernardino yeah i'm back there one time and i was doing a lot of stuff because my parents were ill so i was going back and forth all the time i run into a mcdonald's yeah and it's very busy it's lunchtime and i'm standing in line there and they're there's they're slinging burgers right and left and all of a sudden one of the girls behind the counter picks up a hamburger and another girl behind the counter people who work there at mcdonald's <laughs> punches her in the face and takes her hamburger from her nobody behind the counter or in front of the counter said a word and i'm looking around that's like the problem is there that's not right. That's not supposed to happen. And that's that's one of the reasons why I don't go back to San Bernardino. Just Rodino. par for the course. Yep. Uh, the Inland Empire is an interesting... Uh, look, there's great areas in it, I'm sure, and there's great people there, I'm sure. But mm -hmm. I was driving to Beaumont one time to Ooh. pick up some wrestling tapes. Beaumont. Uh, I think you know whose home I was going to. Mm -hmm. um, and there, on the side of the freeway, there's a giant seven-story mound of dirt with an American flag on top of it. Yep. I was like, that's... That's there. I know that because my sister works for uh, for a newspaper in Beaumont as uh -huh. a writer. Wow. So, yeah, I mean. Beaumont B. The Beaumont. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's uh, it's 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 very it's amazing how you can go like an hour, hour and 15 minutes out of yeah. L.A. And I think people sometimes that, you know, think that Los Angeles is full of like, you know, hippies and liberals and all sure. this stuff. You go out and no, it gets yeah. pretty rustic out there. Yeah. It gets pretty green acres out there. Yeah, sometimes. there's some shotgun shells on the ground some out, yep. out there. Uh, well, we're not here to dish on Inland Empire that we could do an entire hour-long <laughs> podcast on that. But from that upbringing in uh, Inland Empire area, San Bernardino, which is not connected to Hollywood or entertainment or the yeah. arts uh, by any stretch of imagination, how did you end up in, in, in a multifaceted entertainment uh, career? I wanted to be a writer when I was in fifth grade. Okay. I mean, I knew early on. Um, yeah. I think a lot of that had to do with I had a, a great grandmother who gave me books all the time for Christmas, and mm -hmm. I became a voracious reader. To this day, if uh -huh. I don't yeah. read a book a week, I feel bad. 
I mean, it's, it's like it's, uh, she yeah. never guilted me, but I just felt that way. And by the time I, I started to get older, I was reading in a kind of a, an advanced level. So I was picking up other books and just got hooked on them. Right. And after a while, I started to think, you know, I, I think I could tell a story like this. Mm-hmm. I think I could do something. And the teacher, my teacher in fifth grade used to let me write little plays. And yeah, yeah, I like, would this is like the plot to Rushmore. I would direct them and put them together and act in them sometimes, and you know, do the That's whole awesome. thing. And yeah, and I would do these. And when I got older, did you have a scarf when you did this? I did a little beret, which I had jauntily tilted to the side. <laughs> jauntily <laughs> tilted to the side. <laughs> but what I used do it again, do it again, again. Five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, what happened? Were you was, in the opening credits of Fame? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> But what happened was, um, as I got older, I continued to write, and mm-hmm. I mean, I just always wanted to be a writer. And okay. when I got to high school and into college, I found out that writing was a great way to meet girls. Really? Because no one explained that to me, because it certainly didn't happen. Now you have to remember, this is that I'm in college, I'm in high school okay. in the nineteen early nineteen seventies. I'm the same age as Kevin in the Wonder Years. Okay, if you oh, watch yeah. that show, the same thing. Okay, okay. There was this thing called drama chicks back then, but they weren't like drama chicks, like dramatic. Oh my God, all that kind yeah. of stuff. They were girls that wore granny glasses and had long skirts and long hair and carried a copy of Catcher in the Rye in their back pocket. So like you Zoe know. Deschanel, exactly. but back in the you day. Yes. And I started to realize that I really liked hanging around these girls because we would do plays and they would change in front of you and they didn't care. Right. So this is, these are the theater girls. These are the theater the girls. theater girls. Yeah. Gotcha. And drunk, I found that girls. if you went up to them and said, hey, you know, um, I wrote this monologue. I think it'd be really good for you. They really liked that. Wow. You know, in fact, that's how I met my wife. Really? Because I was in college and she was uh, also in college and she was in the, she's a theater major and, um, we were doing TV productions and everybody used to come to me and say, write me, write my TV production for me, write my TV production for me. And I used to write things and put parts in there for her so that I could get to know her better. Wow, smart, mm-hmm. smart play. See, this is a, all I, you kids out there. This is what you this need is what to you do. Gotta do. I didn't have a girlfriend in high school, and that's probably because I stopped theater in the eighth grade. Didn't pick it up again until the twelfth grade, but I was kind of a guest in a couple of plays. Um, but uh, some of my friends from that era will tell you the most um, sexual encounters they had were with the theater girls in high school. Yes. The popular people weren't having as much sex as the now, theater people. And imagine it's the 1970s, okay? If you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. You know, so it was a whole different time. It was a great time to be a high school student. There wasn't, what's the worst thing that can happen at that time in high school is you get caught smoking a cigarette behind the gym. You know, no one got, I always wonder about that now. You know, there's so much violence in high schools and stuff. It's like, you know, when you go to the reunions, the guys go to reunions 10 years from now, it's like, Bobby, remember me? I shot you after science class you know it's it's that <laughs> threatened you yeah exactly i menaced you on the internet remember me exactly oh, i mean now i'm imagining that every one of your days in high school started with joe cocker singing a little help for my friends that's what now i'm yeah. going to picture that that's just I, you waking up in the morning mm-hmm. um so from theater so you go straight into to college where you just did, you said you didn't act much so you definitely stayed on the writing side of things i i did a little bit uh i stayed on the writing side when i when i went into college i was a tv and film major english minor okay. um what school uh loyola marymount oh okay yeah uh, fancy loved it down there yeah too loved it it was, it was a great school because the all the people working in the um in the tv department 
were still working in the business. So oh, it wasn't gotcha. like it wasn't yeah. like you know, I worked for Suspense Theater in 1937, and this is how you you know, uh, my teacher. Um, uh, uh, I had I was very fortunate to have two great. Right. mentor type teachers uh one was a guy named milt gelman who was the story editor on the man from uncle i, I think if your name milt gelman you have to be a mentor mm-hmm. at some point in your life he wrote uh while i was there at loyola he wrote a um uh, wrote a movie for charles bronson called cabo blanco uh and he was writing for quincy at that time quincy md uh-huh uh my directing teacher was directing general hospital okay and uh i had a really great um in so my minor was in English, so I took a lot of classes from a lady named Carolyn C., whose daughter Lisa C. is a novelist now, who actually was in class with me. Okay, and uh, she was um, was was very inspiring. She used to make she would as she was waiting for tenure, she made her living uh, writing profiles for TV Guide. So she would tell us stories about going out and interviewing Jan Michael Vincent, and he drunkenly groped her or something, you know. Uh, Season premiere of Airwolf next week, yeah. eight eight o'clock. Jan exactly. Vincent. And uh, I and I actually uh, she actually gave me some of the the best advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote a book about how to like live a fabulous writer's life, and oh. she was an expert on the, on the Hollywood novel. But she had this really great idea that I don't do as often, but I do it from time to time. Is Take people that you admire, mm-hmm. other writers or whatever, and I guess now you would email them, but you, right. can, still, you can still, actually, I think a written note would be nice. You right. write them a note and say, hey, listen, I thank you very much for what you've done, and uh, I really appreciate it. It's been, been very inspiring for me. And you send it to them and don't expect a return letter. Right. And I always have, I kind of done that in everything I've ever done. If I meet somebody, I at some point always say thank you for right. everything you've done. Usually they always take that well. Sometimes they get they go. I'm not done yet. I said, well, I'm not saying you're over. I'm just saying I'm just thanking you for what you've done up to this point. You know, uh, but they were they they, you know, writing, which was something I did. By the time I was done with college, I right. said, you know, I like this life. I like these things. I I want to do this. You like the written word. Yeah. Now were you writing a lot of plays, or you at that I, point, what did you see your focus as? Um. Uh, like everyone else, and being in California, I figured it was TV and, and film. Right. Okay. Uh, but I always, you know, I consider myself. Did a you have a, a Spencer for Hire spec in your closet or something? Uh, I don't think I had a Spencer for Hire. I had a WKRP spec. I had nice. a Nash spec. Nice. You know that I wrote with other people at that point. I love it. Uh, had, have a movie. I still have a copy of it called Heist, which was <laughs> a big high concept movie. Uh, <laughs> you know, which I read recently and found it to be uh, some. Uh, um, some some very disturbing um, politically incorrect uh, stereotypes in this mo- in this movie, uh, which luckily I have moved on since then. Uh, but uh, no, I, you did all that stuff, and that's kind of read that. Now. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, but um, I always consider myself a writer then and now. I always want to leave myself open to mm-hmm. to everything. It's like Chris Rock always talks about, you know, with comedy. Yeah. Um, you know, um, in basketball. Uh, the basket, in most cases, is two points. Not occasionally a three or whatever, but it's a two-pointer. But there's a thousand different ways to get there. Right. And that's how I look at writing. I've done technical writing. I've written mm-hmm. plays. Um, I've done nonfiction TV. I ghost-written some nonfiction TV for okay. my friend Danny Wolf, and right. uh, some of the, who, who makes some of the worst TV of all time. Uh, you know, but I've, I've done a little bit of everything. I've you done. can cash that check. Yeah, exactly. I've done nonfiction. I've done fiction. I've written magazine articles. I wrote the first... Um, 
uh, article on Elvira, national article mm-hmm. on Elvira. I've read stuff that, like yeah. That. Yeah, I and I, I've that. just done uh, a little bit of everything because I'm a writer, so I write. You're right now you're writing for Schmozno.com. And now I'm writing for Schmozno, and I'm very happy about that. Great, well-received piece on uh, Richard Matheson, Thank right? you. Yes, yeah. I did. It was, it was very nice to do that, and um, I, I will admit... I'm a little romantic about the writing life. I love sure. the writing life. I love hanging out with other writers. That's one of the reasons why I think you and I yeah. you know, caught on so quickly together is because you're a writer, too, and you can make those references, and, and you know exactly what I'm talking right, about. Right, um, You know, I, I am, I mean, I'm one of those writers that's, you know, there's, there, are, there are writers that say, um, I like having written. I don't like writing. I don't mind sitting mm-hmm. down with a blank piece of paper and opening a vein. I yeah I'm one of those that uh, gosh it's a struggle it's homework Carrie Fisher said being a writer is like having homework for the rest of your life and I was a great student in high school but so bored by it by fourth Mm -hmm. grade I dropped out of all my honors classes program called gate I didn't want to be part of it in high school I was on the four-year college plan just bored out of my mind dropped out of that started going to college dropped out of that to get into radio I just bored by that type of stuff so when it comes to writing, I find it really hard to sit down and write. But when it's done, I'm like, well, why don't I do that more often? Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's easy. true. I, I was likely, I, I, I disciplined myself really early on. Mm-hmm. And to the point, like in my bag right now, I have a pad of paper and a pen. Just in case. You're good you at know. that. I've noticed that with I, you. Yeah. You always get, whether it's an iPad, a pad of paper, on your phone, something. you're always jotting I'm, something I'm always down. jotting something down because something will always hit me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do that. And I... Um, I try to write 5,000 words a day. Okay. I have a little uh, app on my uh, iPhone where you, you sa- it says, did you write 5,000 words a day? Yes, I did. Wow. Or no, I didn't. I'm sorry. You just, yeah. I mean, can, is that anything? Just journaling? Just, yeah, you can uh, do that. I mean, if you go, if you, you go, write, I hate you several times. You can do that. I mean, that's, that's those, those, I forget what they call the Hollywood, the pages or whatever it is yeah. that, uh, Cameron, uh, Julia, Julia Cameron, I think it was, I can't remember, but she, well, yeah, you, write, you sit down there and you do your morning, morning pages. That's what right, they call right. them. And you do that. Even it's like, I have no idea what I'm writing about. I have no idea what I'm writing about, you know, right. any kind of writing um you know i think anything i mean i include jokes i include uh, short stories i you, you just know, like spill said, it out yeah exactly yeah. I, a 10 minute i've done a couple of 10 minute plays i've loved doing that because it's cool you know when i was in high school one of my teachers greg denike who was this year passed away and it was a great loss uh he was an athletic coach as well but for me he was an english my english teacher and every day we'd go into class and he'd have a sentence on the board it could be a quote could be a concept and mm-hmm. we had to write an essay in 10 minutes yeah every day the class started like that mm-hmm. all right and go and we had 10 minutes to write an essay at least three paragraphs that unlocked your your brain i love doing it and mm-hmm. uh he was the first one to tell me to seek writing i made him laugh in my first day of ninth grade english he read something aloud and he goes now that's funny yeah and um was a mentor early on um yeah so um i tried that in 1998 when i moved to la i tried to journal something every day mm-hmm. <laughs> and look i found the, the file years later it was yeah. just me whining about not having girls that's the problem about journaling i think journaling is nice but journaling is is really basically written for you to you know to get out of your system it's it works on a psychological level much different than actual writing does where you right. have to create and, and 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 do all that other kind of stuff to it well okay i like that let's, let's dive into it I, what you're saying is be productive too not just work through your junk yeah. uh-huh yeah i mean have goals i'm not i'm not one with of, your writing i'm not one of those those you know, writers, and I always, I, I always am very careful. So tell me if I start to move the the pretentious, pretentious, pretentious needle <laughs> a little there too much because I don't do that. But um, I, I like com- to write commercial stuff. I like mm-hmm. to write serious stuff. I like to write 
anything yeah. that strikes me because I like to you know to be able to you know go to the left or go to the right depending on what I want to do. Um, I think that um, I, I think that the, the key to me to writing is just if you figure out and 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 say in your head and become like for example you'll notice on Facebook mm-hmm. um, I I put a lot of writing stuff on there I do a lot of yeah. attaboys or or things about writers or whatever yeah um, because I I. I'm very proud to be a writer. Even that's the nice thing about it is even if you're unemployed, even no matter what you're doing, you're always a writer. You always will be. You always, I will always be a writer and no one can retire me. Right. That's the whole thing. I can write to the day I die. Right. And I basically intend if I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to swear, make a, make a pact to the heavens. I have 3000 more words to do. (laughs) And if I don't do that, I'm not going to do it. It'll keep you going. Exactly. Um, what, uh, What's your most favorite thing to write? Can you choose one? Is it novels, plays, screenplays, short stories, storytelling um, stuff? I love writing. Well, you know, it's, it's everything's changed because yeah. uh, with the internet and all sure. the the self publishing and the ebooks and and podcasting and all right. the stuff, you can write all different kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I love theater. I love writing plays. The couple little okay. short plays that I've written. And I have a longer one that I'm that I've gone back, and that's a nice thing. Also, you can throw something in the drawer, come back to it three years later, and go, right. "Okay, I can fix this now." Yeah. Uh, but um, I love the I, I love the immediacy of it. I love okay. the fact you know the, the the hard part, as you know, from from doing TV and film, is you know, besides the, the committees and all the stuff that has to be done, it takes a long time to get to it. What I like about getting up and telling stories or doing stuff like I do is you get that feedback right away. You can go home that night and rewrite it or make mm-hmm. changes then. Um, and there's also something really fun. Uh, I wrote a monologue for a friend recently, uh, yeah. like a year ago, and uh, went and performed it. Uh, they, she went and performed it. And it was a lot of fun because I sat back there. And there was something really cool about sitting in the back row of a dark theater watching somebody else bring something that you wrote to life. Right. And watching an audience react and laugh in the right place. Um, get quiet in the right place. You know, when you when you write something serious, you need to put that relief laugh in there, and they get it. Yeah, you know, then yeah. they get it. And you sit back there, and you just go, okay, it, that's, uh, that's really really cool. It is a special feeling. Is that needle getting writer. close to pretentious? Now? No, I no. I t- <laughs> you know, and if it is, be damned to those who think it is. I know exactly what you're saying. Um, during my time in the Groundlings, when I was still trying to perform sketch comedy, I, I was had some great sketch pieces. And during one of them, I remember it was being performed on stage in front of the live audience, and and one of the performers got a giant laugh off of one of my lines. Now she had turned it into something more than I had written on the page, but mm-hmm. it was a joke spot. And I'm in this scene, pulled out of the scene, thinking to myself, "Wow, that felt great." And that's yeah. when I was like, "Well, maybe I shouldn't be an actor." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think I'm. I've done some acting. Um, sure. Um, I did a, a, probably the most nervous I ever was. I did a um, uh, a radio play with David Clennon. Okay. Um, that's old style. That's old style. And uh, it was just him and me. Uh-huh. And I and afterwards he complimented me and actually did a couple other things. It was really, really nice. And right. I felt really, really good. Um, I think as I've gotten older, 
I think with more experience and life experience and stuff like that, um, I think I could I could do some acting. Sure. Uh, I've joked to you about it before. I said that, that there's there's two parts that I'm born to play. One is uh, in the monster film, the guy that goes downstairs and check out what the noise is and gets killed first. <laughs> and the second You'll one, five minutes. And the second one is the bartender who, when the fight breaks out, goes, "Hey, hey, hey! I don't want any trouble in here." <laughs> You know, those are the two parts that I'm born to play. In fact, I may have to write those in someday and have them done so maybe, I can do that. Maybe a short one act of yeah. parts Dan should play, just all the characters in one room. Or maybe I'll just call it, hey, 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 I don't want any trouble in here, the Dan Farron story. <laughs> the Dan, Farron, Dan Farron story. So from that fulfilling world of writing and theater, you made a odd decision to go into stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. One of the I, least I struck, fulfilling. I struck my head and was uh, dazed. And No, I tell you what happened was I grew up on stand-up great uh when i was a kid um and i still have them i had all these i got all the bill cosby albums absolutely and that and the 60s and in the 60s you could go to a library and you could check records out library library let me write that down write that down wow there's an extra r in there it's gonna fool you don't is that like a kindle it's kind of like a kindle but uh you get charged if you don't bring it back in time that's the problem but I also went and started um, like taking out Shelley Berman albums, okay. Flip Wilson, yeah. um, any anybody, Bob Newhart, she, no, you know, all yeah. these guys. Yeah. And um, it was really interesting because the group I hung out with in, in drama class, who mm-hmm. are still friends of mine to this day, nice. one of them has a production company in Boston. The other one is a voiceover guy um, who uh, used to do the voiceovers for the Jerry Springer show. And, uh, I mean, they are three of my oldest and dearest friends. And we used to get together and listen to comedy albums. Okay. Now, also, then you get into the 70s. Now you have Cheech and Chong Mm -hmm. and my holy trinity of of comedy, uh, Carlin, Pryor, Klein, Robert Klein. Okay, yeah. So those were the guys that we listened to. And I thought it was really cool to be able to get up and say things and make people laugh. And I started listening to, I I have a tendency when I get really interested in something, no matter what it is, um, I want to pop the hood and take a look how it works and how it runs. Like a good writer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did that with writing. I've done Mm -hmm. that with wrestling. I've been involved with anything I've history, anything I get really interested in. I want to, I want to take it apart and see how it puts together, which is not always a good thing. Cause one time my dad, my dad got a brand new uh, tape measure and I thought, I want to see how this put together. And I took a screwdriver and screwed it. And the thing went (laughs) all over the room. I mean, it's like 45 feet of, uh, of, of tape measure all over the room. But um, so I started listening to stand up and it was it was fascinating to me because I started to say, okay, there's a there's a cadence to it. There's a rhythm to it. Right. Uh, This this works as a joke. That works as a joke. This guy, you know, Bill Cosby gets a laugh for doing this, you know. Right. And actually, if you listen long enough to any good stand up comic, you hear the music. Yes. You know, you hear, you know, we joke about it all the time. We were joking before the show began, but with Seinfeld, it's like, you know, da, 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 da. You know, that's his music. And, and so we started listening to these things. And, and uh, when I first moved to LA, Mm -hmm. one of the first things I did was go to the comedy store. Okay. Uh, on Sunset? The on Sunset. sunset on yeah. Sunset. Uh, I, I don't remember everyone I saw the first night. I know Elaine Boozler uh, was, oh, wow. was there. Yeah. Um, and then my college roommates and I 
we started going to the comedy store on Sunday nights because it was only five bucks to get in right. and a two drink minimum. And uh, if you ordered apple juice, you could get out for five bucks. <laughs> okay. But it was a golden time. It was, it what was year the boom. Was that what that year would was have that? been 1975, oh, 76. Wow. So you got. That's, my roommate, my roommate, that's the Leno Letterman era, right? Well, that was we saw on a regular basis. We saw Robin Williams, we saw uh, Leno, we saw Letterman. Wow, uh, Leno used to have the big uh, pork chop sideburns at that yes. time and the work shirts. Um, saw Letterman bomb horrendously one night. It was fascinating. He started. Tell he me, was he me. was bombing so badly. Well, well what happened was uh, Robin Williams had done fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. and. Um, the, if you remember the old the, of the cocaine, comedy, of a cocaine, cocaine yes, comedy. Then the comedy store out front, the, the the front stage there had bar stools all around the stage there. Okay, inside, right? And um, he started doing Uncle Tom's Cabin and running from bar stool to bar stool like it was ice floats, you know. And then Ronnie Dangerfield dropped in and did um, <laughs> uh, did a set. Here. Get out of here! Yeah. And uh, Pryor was was around at that sure. time, and 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 uh, there was other guys like Roger and Roger and Charlie Hill, who was a great okay. uh, was an Indian stand up comic, and his opening line always was "Hey, how are ya? Hey, how are ya? You know that kind of stuff. And um, and Letterman came out, and he was very low key. Oh, also Jim Varney yeah. was at the comedy store yeah. at that time. He didn't really do stand up; he did store letters from home, he okay, did characters and letters from home. But um, he. Uh, Letterman came out and it just wasn't working. I turned to my friend and said, "This guy's really good. I've seen him before, right. and it didn't work." So he just started doing bird calls. <laughs> here, here, here's here's an Indiana uh, Indiana peckerwood here. Uh, you know, like that started doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> and um, we um, and so and when my friends came to town, they all wanted to go to the comedy store. Right, right. Um, so I love watching stand up, and and I always wanted to. Try it, I thought. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I'd, this would be interesting. And also, uh, from the economy standpoint, what better way to get your stuff heard or seen sure. than to get up and do it yourself? Yeah. So and that's an immediate stand-up is an immediate, which I do love about. Mm-hmm. There's an immediate justice, as exactly. Seinfeld says, it's a justice. Yeah, it's the purest form. What What had happened was on one of the early stand-up comedy shows at, mm-hmm. at the at the comedy store that I went to see. Um, there was a comedian named Judy Carter on there, and she had flyers in the back. She was starting to teach classes. Starting keyword yeah, underline. Now, here's the deal: as I said classes. to you one time, I said I've been around so long. My yeah. stand-up comedy debut was November fifth, nineteen ninety. I've been around so long that um, I actually took a class from Judy Carter, and she actually taught it. That's how long I've been around. For those who are unfamiliar with that, Judy Carter is a long-standing stand-up comedy teacher. Controversial at times for her joke-telling style, where she actually kind of teaches some students to pause and go, eh, 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 <laughs> uh, allegedly. But, wow, you were there. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really interesting okay. because I wanted to... Yeah, because the way she was doing it at that point was Mm -hmm. she was saying, hey, you know, you can go out. Or as Judy would say, hey, you can go out and and, um, learn how to do stand-up. And you can use it in your life to help you, which is true. You can. Once you do stand-up and you know how to face a crowd, you can handle anything. You know, when I've worked on jobs, when people had to get up, they always say, make Dan get up. Dan will do it. Dan Dan will do the presentation. Let Dan do it. Me too. You know. and the thing about it was that um, 
yeah, I figured I'll, I'll do it one time, you know, invite my friends, see how it goes. And you do that thing where you go in the class, there's like 10 people. And then by the time there's performance night, there's five people left, Yeah, you know, and because I had listened to so much stand up, I, I knew I kind of had an idea where to pause on and everything, because the most important things that Judy taught, um, was she taught, uh, set up, punch, uh, act out. That was how it was. You know, you do right. the, the setup, you do the punch, and then you act it out. You know, which some people like and some people don't. Well, you if know. done right. If uh, done correctly. Uh, Brian Regan, that's kind of... A, a, but not every joke. That's a breakdown <laughs> of his formula. Yeah. But that, uh, you know, he, he here's what the story's going to be. You act out the story. Mm-hmm. You got your joke. Yeah, okay, I get that. That and how to, how to adjust the microphone, which actually is a very important thing. Very. Know? If there is any people out there <laughs> ready to start stand-up comedy, let me say, because I've hosted a series of student shows for Jody Miller. Uh-huh. Uh, if you don't move that damn Behind microphone you. stand yes. out of the way, mm-hmm. I'm going to punch. And if you don't reset it and shake my damn hand yeah. when I come back on, on stage. Or hand you the microphone. Yeah, oh, hand oh. me the microphone like here. Do so. Do, do something with this. Do yeah. something with. Oh <laughs> God! I think stand-up teachers yeah. should teach that first. Yes, and what you do is, and, and she Sorry, did. I got passionate there for a no, moment. She did also the whole thing of taking the 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 toe and put it on the base of the of the mm-hmm. microphone stand and make okay. the adjustment. You know. Yeah. Um. So um, I was lucky enough to to go to a club that was my favorite comedy club of all time, which is no longer there, which is no big surprise because none of them are ever there anymore. <laughs> but a place called Igby's. I made my okay. debut at Igby's. Igby's was um, not like the other clubs. It was more a traditional uh, opener, middle, or headliner, which gotcha. I like that format. Which is kind of how comedy should be, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. And we used to, my wife and I used to go there all the time. Um, we, would do, we, we would all, when we first got married, we, we would alternate between uh, going to um, Igby's and going to uh, the Groundlings, which at yeah. that time was Cassandra Peterson, Edie yeah. McClurg, Paul Rubens, that guy, you know, those guys. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and we would go to the um, to Igby's and see um, Stephanie Hodge, uh, Dennis Wolfberg, uh, oh, all I these amazing, amazing, amazing The comics. late Dennis Wolfberg, probably one of the best comics I've ever had the pleasure of seeing. Unfortunately, I only got to see him on TV. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was just an amazing stand-up comic. And um, so the night comes to do the show, and we were sitting in this pizza place, which was next door, and we're all sitting there like, going, what the hell were we thinking? Why are we doing this? The room is packed. Yeah. And um, I got, uh, and, and we all, we drew numbers and whatever, and I got up and I did my little, my set, and it went over really, really well. Okay. Uh, which is a curse and a blessing. I had that too, so uh-huh. we can talk about that. We'll come back to that. Yeah, exactly. Continue. A weird thing was at that mo- at that point, um, Twin Peaks was really popular on yeah. TV. Yeah. And unbeknownst to me, a friend of mine was working on Twin Peaks. An old friend of mine had just dropped in. Right. And I start my set, and I look in the back, and I see him sitting at the bar with Laura Palmer. <sighs> One of the biggest stars in the in TV at that point at that because point. of Twin so Peaks. So it's yeah. like so yeah. all of a sudden it, this is like a Twin Peaks type yeah. moment. Yeah, and um, so that went really well. So we all were like, well, we should go out and do this more often. So right. we put our little band together and we started going out to Madame Wu's and Chinese restaurants and Beverly Hills, and like ten little Indians one at a time, they started to fall away <laughs> until there was only me and a couple other people. Um, but I kept doing it because I found it interesting. And again, sure. what you talk about was the, there was that night in Madame Wu's yeah. with in the basement, second time up, 
Yeah. Nobody there except yes. other comics. Completely dark. Yeah. And you and I'm doing this thing, and I'm going, this is not like it was the first time. Yeah. You know, and those are the ones that make you get a little bit stronger because the odds are, I mean, the odds are in most cases when you're starting out, you're not very good. Right. You know, and what's happening there is that you're going to bomb or be not good mm-hmm. five or six times. You're going to be passable once or twice and every blue moon you're going to be brilliant. Right. You know, but you learn patience and you learn discipline from that, which I think is really important in a lot of right. things in life. Because right. I've said, you know, I've joked with you about it. I said, you know, if you can do stand-up comedy, you can do anything in this life. Nothing scares me. I've done right. stand-up comedy. You've been and and uh I want to dive into that because yeah, my first my stand-up comedy debut was at the Belly Room 2003 uh packed belly room which when the belly room's packed even though it might just be 60 to 70 people it's mm-hmm. a hop and fun room and you are at the comedy store and had yeah. a long discussion recently with, with christian harloff he loved the comedy store i grew yeah. to grew to loathe it which is a shame it is what it is well, it's the, a legendary the spot still looks the same as it did in 1970 <laughs> that's the whole thing that might Nothing be part of the problem changed. but i understand harloff's point about it being a rocky gym kind of for, for comedy but yeah. uh, i was happy to be there and and um I killed. I killed. And I had my friends from the Groundlings. We all, some of us, most of the people performing that night had been voted out of the Groundlings, and this was our yeah. release. And this was my, I'm leaving sketch comedy. I'm going into stand up because that's how I'll get a TV show. <laughs> killed. And my friend Peter Sprite says, yeah, that was the best debut of stand up comedy I've ever seen. And I wasn't over confident. I just was excited. Like, yeah, yeah I found something. Yeah. My next one is a uh, weird comedy contest. I performed in a, a room of, competitors so no one laughed and then my third show was an open mic vance sanders open mic over the westwood Brew oh, vance company sanders. Oh my God. i was walking into this here peter Sprite. i did that place too yeah, yeah. Peter, maybe you were there peter brought me in that night i did my uh time and uh you, you got chris hardwick there and sprites there and vance sanders and all these guys are, are and, and it's just uh, clicky would be the bad way to say it but it was a group mm-hmm. and it was a, yeah. a, a ragtag crew of comedy yep. and here's this me and i'm just and i came up memorized like i <laughs> and I wasn't I, di- I wasn't reading my paper, but I had it all memorized like a monologue. Yeah. And oh, the silence, the silence. And oh, I sit I back know. down and Peter goes, welcome to comedy. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a short story about it one time about um, uh, uh, basically the way I set it up was I was in the very opening paragraph. I was dying. My yeah. my entrails were all over the floor. I was bleeding everywhere. And finally, they turned on the light, and that's the way it felt to me at that point. And <laughs> achingly beautiful, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was just like you know, um, why don't they? Why didn't they laugh like the other people did? You know, and what you learn also is because I did the belly room too. I yeah. I, I did the belly room at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, uh, because I didn't bring enough people uh, to <laughs> yeah, I, to do that. that, and so I went out, and and there was one table left, so I went out and yeah. sat down at the table and just told the jokes to the people. People at the table um, but as you well know also one of the things that you have control or don't have control over is who else is on the show with you now if you're with your friends and your buddies that's yeah. great you know yeah. but uh, the people I mean when I did the belly room I followed a guy who took off every single stitch of clothing he had butt ass naked for his finisher okay and I think we just both, like Judy Carter taught us uh, <laughs> but we were we were laughing also because it depends. I don't know about for you guys, but mm-hmm. when we were doing comedy, 
we hated actors because actors would come in and yes. think they could do stand-up oh, comedy. Yes, because every every stand-up comic was getting a, a, um, a show at that time. Resume builders, we right. call them exactly. And they would come in and they wouldn't really do stand-up. They would do character type things, or they would yes. do, you know, they were basically putting a reel together. That's what they were doing. Yep. And it used to make me crazy. And I think for three times I followed this girl. Uh, that we called her butt crack girl because she was a very pretty girl. And as we talked about before, you know, well, yeah. um, it's, it's not always, it's not always easy for attractive people in comedy. I'm not saying we're it's Quasimodo, not. but you know, no. at the same time, you know, you have to, you, you have to, you know, to realize that if you're Joe, every guy, then you have a better chance of doing it. So, and it's even worse. It's related. It's relatability. It's, it's re yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. And if you're really an attractive woman, woman. It, it's, it's hard. <laughs> so yeah. she did this whole routine that, would all uh, that the way that it built to was that she would turn around like doing a plumber's type bit and basically show her thong and her butt crack, okay. And generally, people were either horrified by it or guys would wolf whistle, and that was always another problem. Um, yeah. I don't know if this is something that you ran into later on. Mm -hmm. uh, let, let me let me get my my judgmental uh, <laughs> tone of voice here. Um, one thing that I always liked about the golden days of comedy long before me yeah. and you and all that stuff was people went to places like the hungry eye and, and the, and the uh, other places like the comedy, like the comedy store at that point to see stand up comedy. Yes. They didn't go to participate in a Roman gladiator death bout where yes. they're screaming at the other comics or want to yes. jump up on stage. They want to heckle. Uh -huh. They want to uh -huh. do all that kind of stuff. I once had a guy wrestle a microphone from mm -hmm. me at a, at the bitter redhead in Santa Monica. I yeah. learned, um, was that a club or is that just somebody you knew at that? That point? was a bar next oh, okay. to a Jack in the box. <laughs> both, uh, uh, side, uh, both, uh, you had the Jack in the box, the bitter redhead and the street in the yeah. middle of the street at one point was a homicide. Not yeah. while we were running the show, uh -huh. but probably like the night before. I, I I love uh, I, 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 the first time I retired from stand-up comedy was at a place called the Coffee Roasters in Marina Del Rey. Um, I was waiting to go up, and it was one of those baton death marches of comedy, where yeah. it's just comedy, 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 you know. And there was a guy from Fireside Theater in the audience, and I really oh, wanted to make him laugh. Yeah. I really wanted to give him, make him laugh. And there was a little lady there who was a heckler. Mm. I learned an important lesson about hecklers that night. Yeah. And that is, I started working on, okay, she's going to heckle me. And I started working on lines in my head, lines in my head, lines in my head. And I got up there, and she didn't heckle me. And I found myself almost kind of like taunting her, wanting her to Engaging. heckle me so I could, you know, I could do it. And I learned basically that you just go with the moment, you know. Yeah. I, I got heckled one time in Huntington Beach um, at a place called Martini Blues. And... Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was, I couldn't really see over the bar with some guy at the bar and he was making a, you know, he was, he was kind of giving me a hard time a little bit, nothing too bad. And I never really went after hecklers really bad. I was really good at kind of yeah, shutting yeah. him down, but I never wanted to get like into it. Like, I a, wasn't too aggressive, like Jim yeah. Carrey used to do where he would run out and jump up down the table and start screaming at people yeah. and doing that kind of stuff. But, uh, the, I couldn't see the guy completely and I said, but he looked, he had like a goatee going. I said, Oh, great. I'm being heckled by Jim, the anvil Neidhart, making a reference to the wrestler. And there was like this pause. I hear some people go, oh. And I was like, huh. And I came off stage and my friend said to me, do you know who you just like made fun of? And I said, no. And he goes, Tank Abbott from the UFC, from the Ultimate <laughs> Fighting Championship. He hates being told he looks like Jim the Anvil Neidhart. <laughs> 
So I'm out there, so I'm thinking, I got, I got So to, that's why Dan doesn't have an ear. That's right. I have to leave quickly, and Tank Abbott walks up to me, and he's drunk, yeah, just yeah. off his ass. And he also me goes, hey. I said, yeah. And he goes, I really like you. I said, thank you, Mr. Abbott. I have to go back to the valley. Uh, <laughs> and I got out of there very quickly. But, I mean, that's the trouble yeah. you learn with that. Now, one thing that was interesting for me was I was thrown into emceeing a show. Right. Hosting a show. I did let, that. was um, my career. Long before I was ready to do that. Hmm. There was a place called the Cinema Cafe in Hollywood. It was one of many places before and after. Dan's life is a track record of all the failed businesses yeah, in Hollywood. Exactly. I mean, that's the, you know, I spend most of my time now going, it's that place that used to be this or used to be that. And as you know, what happened was right in 1990, the comedy boom ended. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, and everybody thought we could just have a comedy show here. Yes. Every deli, every yep. coffee place will have a comedy show. And this is my big bungaboo about that stuff, yep. is people come in to get a cup of coffee or have a bite to eat, and suddenly a stand-up comedy show is forced yep. upon them. Yep. And uh, the worst, I remember one night down in an Italian restaurant in Culver City, they were supposed to, we were supposed to be doing it in, in a back room, and something went wrong, so they said, hey, you're going to go out into the main room and do it. No. So these people no. are having dinner. Yeah, and all of a sudden, hey, we got a comedy show for mm -hmm. you. Uh, how many shows have you been at where there's guys playing pool, drinking beers, watching a Dodger game, and the yep. bar owner has to go, "Hey, guys, we have to turn this all off. You have to stop your game. Why? Uh, these seven comics are going to do comedy." I did. I did a show. Audience. I did a show one time at a sports bar where they didn't even do that. They left the oh, the, the TV on and you performed underneath it. And <laughs> yeah. what what happened is every time they would react, you didn't. You would look up to see it was it you or did someone score a touchdown? Yeah, What's wrong? The Kobe yeah. Bryant hit a jumper. I yeah. bet he shows at that regard. Exactly. But I learned how at the Cinema Cafe was was actually purchased by one of the guys in the mm -hmm. Judy Carter comedy class. Nice. And he said, we're going to set it up. We're going to give you guys great a, business. You know, move, you're yeah. going to do this. You're going to do that. And that's great. Okay. And it was great for like three months, four months. Yeah. First thing that happened was um, I took over the Monday night open mic. Yeah. The first week. So I booked, you know, I had people call in and booked it. I didn't know there was another comic doing Monday night, and he wasn't really happy about the fact right. that um, that somebody else was replacing him. So what he did was he booked the show for that Monday night. Mm. So instead of having 12 comics, 24 comics show oh, up. Oh, yeah. That's okay? always fun. So we started doing, and I learned, and I, I tried so hard to put everybody up, but we were going to one o'clock in no, the morning, and there was nobody no. there, and you just had to learn how to, you know, to cut bait at some point, yep. you know. And I did that for several years, and then not several years, actually, it felt like several years. It was yep. several months. Then what happened was you would leave there, you know, it was down on Santa Monica Boulevard. It was like yeah. one o'clock in the morning, and there's this poor girl who worked behind the counter who was going to school, and. And all these these homeless people were standing out front staring in the window like night of the living dead or something. <laughs> and I would say, are you okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. I'll lock the door soon. It'll be okay. <laughs> and then it turned out like all of a sudden the guy who re bought the place just disappeared. Right. Not, none of the bills got paid. The electrical got hooked, uh, yeah. turned off. So the one of the uh, the baristas went next door and jimmied into the box of the place next door. 
to keep the lights on. And and I, I had a lot of fun. I mean, we were doing these shows. I mean, Hollywood. I had, you know, I was working with Jamie Kennedy and yeah, Claudia yeah. Lanau and Margaret Cho used to drop in from time to time. And it was right. kind of cool, you know, um, and they were all very nice to me. But then little by little, um, you know, I, the lights started getting turned off. The phone was turned off. And then one night I walked in and the girl behind the counter said, Dan, um, they they turned off the part of the refrigeration, so don't order the cheesecake. They're kind of sweaty. <laughs> and the next week, the door sweaty was cheesecake. The Dan Farron story. Mm-hmm. The next week, the doors were locked, <laughs> and and I retired for and a while. Before, <laughs> you, uh, before we transition onto some, there's so many other things to talk about with you. Um, we've been kind of telling our our stand-up company war stories, but can you quickly tell me what do you love about it? Because it there there is definitely something grand about stand-up comedy. I will always refer to myself as a stand-up comic, mm-hmm. even though I haven't done stand-up comedy on a regular basis in, in several, several years. I still get up and do it from time to time. I yeah. had a show uh, that I was doing with a partner, uh, Shari Becker, in town called Vertical Humor mm-hmm. um, that, uh, unfortunately, we had some amazing people on the right. show. Um, Kathy Ladman, Wendy Liebman, yeah. Rich Scheidner. Um, and what happened was, unfortunately, I mean, we did it. We, we booked it, and we only booked like five comics on a show. Right. We had trouble drawing there at the place we were at. So yeah, we decided to take a little bit of a break. Also, what happened was comics started thinking because we had these names that we were paying. Right. And so they started drawing us crazy with that. So we didn't right, do that. Right, but right. I always love the immediacy of it. Yeah. I love it when it works. Yeah. You know, it's one of those weird things, you know, um, I did a show, uh, the Palm Springs comedy festival. I've talked fondly about this. It's it goes mm-hmm. back about 10 years now, but, um, it was the biggest audience I ever played to. It was a gigantic room and you only had about, about five minutes or less than that really and I got up and it was just one of those nights where everything clicked everything clicked everything clicked and um, and the judges were all these people in high places and I you know I I got docked one point because I went over but that's only because the audience was laughing so hard they couldn't couldn't hear I I couldn't go into my uh, my finisher because it was it would be messed up that way and it was funny. I was everybody was saying, "Oh man, you're going to get work. You're going to get work. You're going to work. Get work." You know, um, and of course, I got nothing. Right. Got absolutely nothing from. It. Now I wasn't surprised or disappointed. Right. But that's what said to me that the it's the journey. It's it's yeah. the process of getting up and doing it and having it work. Yeah. And I also like identifying with an audience. I mean, yeah. um, I had I did a show one time. Here's another great gig. Night before Thanksgiving in an airport lounge. Wow. And there were people from what all over the lose? world. I know, exactly. People from all over the uh, the mm-hmm. U.S. was there. Yeah. And you, I'm sure you know what this feeling was like. You're saying something that's kind of about you, material-wise. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you see two people look at each other and smile. Yeah. Because you've made that connection. You know, it's like the um, the the exercise they talk about a lot in, in stand-up. It's like you throw the ball to the audience, and you want the audience to throw the ball back to you. That's great. Yeah. I know there's that moment. I call it the like the laugh nod. There's laughter, and there's, mm-hmm. ha-ha, what you've said is funny. And then there is that laughing, and they're nodding kind of to themselves like, I thought I was the only one. Yeah. And when you, when you have that moment with an audience, mm-hmm. God, that feels great. And I also think there are moments when something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And everything you do is right. 
on yeah. stage that make you go, hey, this is, you know, there was the old joke about, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with stand-up comedy. I love it and it hates me. Right, right, right. You know, but I was at uh, Michelli's restaurant one time and uh, this MC was giving me the nicest introduction and he says, this guy's really great. I've seen him before. He's, I consider him a friend. Will you please welcome Dan Forte? <laughs> <laughs> and my friends are dying laughing because they know it's not my last name. And I got up there and I said, okay. I said, um, Dan Forte couldn't make it here. I'm Dan Farron. You know, and the audience started laughing. I said, and obviously emceeing is not your forte. And it, and hey, it was right. just boom. And then you, it, it was it. just one of those, those great moments. But the thing is also, you know, I don't mind a lot of the bad moments yeah. uh, because I've learned so much about them. And they are yeah. funny now. Yeah. I mean, they really are. Same here. Um, I, I, I just myself picked, had to pick a lane finally. Yeah, I mean, that's what you, had, that's what energy, you yeah. had to do. And and I went back and took some other classes and, and did some other stuff. Mm. And what I started to find when I was working with um, a lot of stand-ups was that I was enjoying sitting in the room with a bunch of guys and girls and, and pitching mm -hmm. stuff. And I started to realize that I was getting just as much enjoyment, like we talked about before, writing something for someone. Comes back to that. Then I was getting up and doing it myself. Right. And um, also what happened to me was my act changed. Mm -hmm. And that is, I was doing kind of a sad sack type character. Uh, right. Uh, Mr. I know that well, know, yeah. Mr. Everybody Beats Me Up type thing. Right. And about halfway, several years into it, I didn't feel that way anymore. Right. And I felt it was limiting me. And I wanted to do something else and do something, you know, to break away from that. And it was hard, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it finally came to me was I went to a seminar um, mm -hmm. that was uh, taught by, um, oh, God, Eddie. He was the booker on the, on uh, Letterman for a long Eddie time. Eddie Brill. Eddie Brill. Very interesting guy. Very. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things, one of the biggest complaints I have about comics is mm -hmm. they always want to get up and perform, but they never want to sit down and listen. Yeah. I had a writer one time. Are you talking about comics or wrestlers? Everything. <laughs> everything. Well, they, you know, they, they're lucky they can do either. But they, hey, uh, but everything in life, you know, yeah. I, I ask, you know, you do, you meet an author in college, and you go, you know, you have any advice for me? You know, yeah. and they always say, and Alan Dean Foster, a science fiction writer, one yeah. time said to me, um, read a thousand words for every word you write. And I think that you should listen to a thousand jokes for every joke you write. Absolutely. You know, or watch people perform. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes you can learn. I mean, that's how I learned how to MC. Yeah. I learned from watching other comics that when someone had problems, that you did a little bit of material in between. Yeah. Or if somebody did well, you brought somebody you brought up right up. away. You yeah. know, and yeah. I also suffered from that because I was out at the haha -ha one time. Oh. Uh, which I like to remind people, ha-ha backwards is, ah, ah, which is how I feel about the place. Uh, and, uh, and we're not editing that out because no. I now plan on going back. Uh, but um, this, uh, the MC, the guy before me had really, had really crushed, had really done a great job. And I was like, Pull me, bring me up, bring me up, bring right. me up, bring me up. And at that moment, the MC thought it would be great to take three minutes uh. to do a bit about spitting watermelon seeds into a bucket yeah yeah you know and that was part of the frustration that i started to find is that i needed to test different muscles and plus also there was things going on like um uh, comedy contest and the yeah, bringers the and i was getting stuff. discouraged and and then i think last comic standing was my final 
Because um, right. I I had auditioned for stood in line for five hours one time to audition yeah. for the um, not for that but for the Aspen Comedy Festival right. uh, with a very nice guy named Jorge Garcia mm-hmm. uh, who went on to become Hurley on Lost. Mm-hmm. But by the time it was over, I just wanted it to be over with. Sure, you know. Sure. And um, my feeling about Last Comic Standing was to me, this, to a stand-up comic, I felt the Last Comic Standing was kind of like telling an African-American that Amos and Andy was good for them <laughs> because I <laughs> felt did. it yeah. really made stand-up comics look even worse than they actually could be at right. times. Right. You know, yeah, that was a tough, yeah, that, that was a, such a TV show too. Um, planned. I had friends who waited and waited and waited and didn't get it. You know, it's like, of course, they just wanted to take people waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah, and, and, they had, wanted, had and they want people so they can embarrass they them. They wanted B-roll. Oh, and, and the time we have left, though, I do want to transition. You, you had your long stand-up career, which is still technically going, because like mm-hmm. you, you said, you performed those shows, but you along the way transitioned into something that's fascinating, and I, unfortunately, I tried to go down that path, and uh, I will eventually. Like you said, it's always there, but storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You run regular storytelling shows over the Coffee Fix in Studio City, yeah. um, which is such a different environment. It's a different uh, discipline. It's a different type of audience. It's a uh, that's an older audience yeah. right now, which is a shame. It should be. I, I I was trying to bring some of my younger friends along, and my, my schedule be, got know, busy. But it actually it varies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just depends upon you know. We've had uh, you know mixed audiences. We've had yeah. younger. We've had older. Um, I think there's a tendency as you get older, you have more stories to tell. Absolutely. Whereas you're younger, you, you don't gathering. have quite that many. You're gathering intel. But what happened to me with that was really interesting is that, uh, like I said, I, I was looking for a different muscle to, to stretch. And I right. thought, I'd like to maybe be serious sometimes mm-hmm. on stage. I would like to take some of my writing and talk about getting your writing seen, yeah. you know, do something with that. And it was just one of those freak things. I picked up a, here we go with something that's not around anymore, the drama log which yeah. was a, an yeah. old casting newspaper in here. Yeah. And you looked always looked under stand-up comedy stuff. You know? yeah. And you go, oh, no, I'm not going to do that one. I'm not going to do that one. And it said, it, this is a storytelling. Right. I was like, huh. It, and actually, the show at that time was not called Story Salon. The show was called Anything But Stand-Up. Nice. You know? Good title. And it was, I saw that it was run by a lady named Beverly Mickens, who I had used to book at the Cinema Cafe years ago. I said, okay, I know somebody know there. Beverly. So... I went and showed up and uh, watched it and said, I want to do this. Because it was about 10 people getting up on a Wednesday night, telling a story about seven, eight minutes long. And some were funny, some were sad, some were both. And I thought, this is, I like, this is something different. Because I had also seen uh, shows like, um, uh, I always get the title wrong, Time uh, Time Flies, uh, When You're Barely Alive, I think it was called, Mm. a a show that a gentleman, an actor, had done about uh, his wife's battle with cancer. And then also you had all the other, the the Sandra Singlow and people like that coming up and doing Mm. uh, shows in Julia Sweeney, God Said Ha. God Said Ha, yeah. And... um, it, it was it was really interesting to me, and plus I I found four or five people. I always like to refer to them as because there's a lot of stand-ups to do the show, and I always refer to them as being in the stand-up comedy witness relocation program, <laughs> and that is they're in hiding or whatever. It's a different environment. It's a different environment. And you're it's, a rock a star there, by the way. Oh, well, uh, when thank I, you. I got there early the first time to the coffee fix over there on Moore Park, and um, sitting there having a little coffee and a sandwich, waiting for you to show up, my friend Dan from wrestling, and and people were looking at me like, who's this guy under under forty? here who's this guy <laughs> and you walk in and it was like dance here dance here dance here dance here you're a storytelling rock star my friend well i was lucky enough like i said uh, beverly 
she put me up uh, at the beginning of it was mm. again. I remember it was thirteen years ago. It was uh, it was almost ten ten years exactly after I started yeah. doing stand up comedy. And after it was over, I said, "This is really cool." And I said to her, "I said, well, is there any kind of limit how often I can get up?" And she says, "No, just call me, and if I can get you up, I'll get you up." Yeah. And I said, "Don't tell me that unless you want me <laughs> to do that." And she goes, "No, go ahead." And at that time, there weren't that many people doing it because it had only been around for eight or nine years at that point. Yeah. And I wound up going back for like the next forty weeks straight. It's a it's a great show, and, and we'll talk about it more the next time you come on, the Nantuck yeah. Files. But it is uh, still at the Coffee Fix, which is located on yeah. Moore Park. Every and Wednesday night, uh, Whitsit. Moore Park Across and Whitsit. Library. Across the library. And I highly, if you're in a, in the L.A. area and you want to see something different, it's, it's storytelling. It's exactly what you think it is. It's people coming up and telling stories, some of it off the cuff, some of it mm-hmm. very prepared, some of it written uh, and re- reading from the page. And it's a, it's a great environment. I, I do intend to get back. That's my promise to you. Yeah, Just, I think uh, you... I think you would find it uh, yeah. is the cure for the common stand-up. It, it is, it is great. Have and we gone through like an hour already? We've gone through an hour, my friend. We're going to wrap didn't, up. I didn't get a chance to trash half the people I wanted to on this <laughs> thing. I'm really upset about this uh, now. And I would like to spend uh, an hour talking about you watching Letterman Bomb. That's fascinating <laughs> to me. I love that kind of stuff. Was my, my late Uncle Nick would tell me the stories of seeing the doors at the Whiskey as the house band. Yeah. Like, I just am fascinated by people who got to be a part of and witness scenes. And, and that's a scene, comedy store in the 70s. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but and, and we didn't even really touch upon the how I came to know you, which is through the world of professional wrestling. And I kind of did that on purpose because <laughs> I, I want people out there. I know there's a lot of people from Millennium Pro Wrestling and, and other fan groups maybe tuning in. I want them to know the Dan I've gotten to know, which is the storytelling rock star and the guy <laughs> who was there telling comedy, uh, doing stand-up comedy with his tie and rolled-up sleeve with <laughs> a brick wall behind him at the end of the comedy boom in the late 80s. Um, so there's so much more to talk about you, and I love that we got to get into the mind of a writer. Oh, cool. Well, thank I know you. there's a I, lot of fun. people out there listening who are, are aspiring writers, and uh, aspiring can sometimes be an insulting word. We, you're you're kind of a writer, whether you've gotten something published or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, you are born that way, uh, and you just have to work your mind and your talent. So um, it was great to get to know you on that regard and, and to commem- commiserate. On, on, on stand-up, but also celebrate stand-up comedy. I, I, I tend to get to that, well, you know, stand-up was hard. I loved it. I'm, I, I will I'm going to be again. bringing this back. I've done this as a podcast, a regular show. But I, I've done a show called Comedy Callback, where yeah. I have stand-ups on telling stories about doing stand-up, serious and, and yes. comical. And I, I definitely need to get you on whenever we Absolutely. start doing we're, this. We're going to have to do that and um, uh, hear all those stories. So, Dan, tell them where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Real Dan Farron. Believe it or not, there's more than one Dan Farron. It's uh, F A F is in Frank A R R E N. Uh, you can read my stuff on Schmo's Nose. Uh, Schmo's No. No, I'm sorry. It's yeah, hard. It's, you always add the S. I always tisk, add the S. Tisk. I have no. I know. Schmo's No. I'm going to be unfollowed com. by You're half be, of a Schmoville now. Christian's going to unfollow you. He's going to unfollow Schmo's No. dot com, where Dan writes a lot about uh, uh, 50s uh, movies and and uh, different genres mm-hmm. and. And, uh, and uh, we're going to see more and more from yeah. you on that side as and, well. And uh, also on Facebook. Yeah, stock them you know, on Facebook. So and and uh, just show up at uh, a Millennium Pro Wrestling show and ask if you're booked. He'll probably uh, try to get you some <laughs> well, ring You'll time. see a different Dan Farron that's at the a, Millennium Pro Wrestling that, show. A little a, meaner Dan Farron. a different than, uh, Dan uh, Farron. Yeah. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for trekking hey, out to Studio you. City to uh, to come on the Knapsack Files. It's been a pleasure. We're going to bring you back for sure. Awesome. And uh, do some more, uh, maybe some of our own shows, like you said. We, we just 
there's a lot to talk about in front of microphones with you. So Maybe we can wind up in Bakersfield as a morning drive team. <laughs> that would be great. Ken and Dan. Hey. And traffic and weather and last night's murders here at <laughs> Bakersfield's hottest rock <laughs> station. Uh, all right. That is the Napsock Files. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, K-O-Z-P-A-N, Cospan on Twitter, and find the Napsock Files on Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate and review. If you're on Stitcher, find us there. And if you come to us from the Toad Hop Network, please don't forget to tune in to the Schmozno Movie Podcast every Thursday live, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, where Christian, Mark, and Tiffany Smith will talk about movies and movie news and rumors and, and play some wacky, crazy games and I'll read the news. This has been the Napsack Files with special guest Dan Farron. We will see you all next time.